Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. This is a talk from our Sutton service. To hear talks from each of our services, please visit ChristchurchLondon.org. Good morning, everyone. How are you doing? Good. Great. Um, one bonus notice uh, from me. Uh, it will not have escaped your attention that our community has been growing a lot. Uh, in recent history. Most of you I've met in the last uh, two years or so. Uh, In fact, last Sunday, we had our record attendance in our Cantonese service uh, just across the road. There's a picture of it, I think, next slide uh, coming up. This was last week. Uh, People are even on benches at the back, around about 120 uh, people or so. So we're running out of space uh, in that room as well. Uh, Last Sunday, not only did we have our biggest attendance there, we had our biggest attendance in our juniors kids work group, that's years three to six, 37 kids in that age group alone. Uh, We also had for the first time on a Sunday over 100 children. Uh, If every child came to our church, we'd have about 180 kids on a Sunday. So we like it when you don't come sometimes, that's probably good. (laughs) Um, So record attendance there, record attendance in juniors group. We also had our record attendance in youth. 37 young people started Alpha last Sunday in the marquee. Uh, In January, they're going to come back into this room for worship. So add 37 young people into this room. We're going to run out of space uh, in here as well. Uh, And we're not really sure what to do about that. It's a really great challenge to have. We're praying. We're asking God for wisdom. We would welcome your input as well. But one of the reasons I mention that is that in the next week or two, we're going to send out a very short questionnaire just to get a little more info on where you guys are at. Uh, Our options are basically, uh, number one, we find a bigger venue. Uh, We're praying for that. Uh, We can't find one. Uh, And we love this location as well. It's fantastic. So not really sure about that. Secondly, we could start another service. So we could maybe do two morning services here, say 9.30 and 11, 11.15-ish. Again, we need more volunteers for that. Not really sure about that. Uh, Number three, we could plant a service. Um, Sutton, Croydon, Epsom, Coulston, I don't know. Um, But again, there's some uh, financial logistics there as well in terms of hiring another venue. Not really sure about that. Or we could just do nothing for the time being and just live with the pain of not having much space. So... um, Because we don't really feel like we know the right thing to do, we thought, well, let's get more informed at least. So it'll be a short questionnaire, because everybody hates questionnaires, uh, but it'll just find out information about whereabouts do you live, how many children do you have, what age groups are they in, how do you feel about starting another service, how do you feel about planting out, and it's going to be anonymous, so you can be super honest. Uh, We won't be doing anything uh, until um, the spring term at the very earliest, but we just really value you doing that. That will land in your inbox boxes in the WhatsApp group and on the Facebook group, hopefully this week, if not next, so we'd really value your help in filling that in. Okay, on to our series in Luke. Uh, We're up to Luke chapter 10. Uh, We started this at the start of this year. Current trajectories, I promise we'll finish this by 2029, okay? We're going to get through it eventually, Uh, though in our quick fix culture, I actually like going through a book slowly. It's just kind of the way that I'm wired, so I'm I'm enjoying this. And um, today we're looking at the whole subject of mission evangelism, uh, helping people find faith in Jesus. And just to say, uh, if you're here and you don't believe in God, and you think, oh, does this mean that I'm a target? I've, I've written this talk in a way that I really hope is accessible uh, for you as well. And you're welcome to come and give me feedback uh, at the end too. Uh, we're going to start by reading from Luke 10, verse 1. The words will be on the screen uh, for you to follow along. Uh, this is what Luke writes. Uh, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go. 
I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there eating and drinking whatever they give you for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you, heal those there who are ill, and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. Okay, I want to suggest four things uh, from this passage, four principles that I think can be really helpful for us as we share our faith uh, with others. And just to say, for Christchurches of a certain vintage, if you were around like nine, ten years ago, you'd have heard some of this material before, um, no apologies for repetition, actually, because I think actually some of this is foundational for the way we see mission and foundational for us uh, for, uh, as a church. Jesus repeated sermons as well, so I'm in great company uh, doing that. Um, before I get into the four points, um, the whole premise of this talk uh, is basically verse two, which is this, the harvest is plentiful. Like, I really believe with all of my heart that Jesus has a plentiful harvest for us. You know, I hear so much doom and gloom in uh, the West in particular about the decline of the church. Like the rise of like spirituality generally, but the church is basically dying. By 2050, it won't be here anymore. Just so you know, I don't buy it. You know, when I read the story of the Bible, the Bible tells me that one day Jesus is coming back and he's not coming back for a tiny group of people saying, oh, we made it, we hung on. No, the Bible says Jesus is coming back for a glorious church. The Bible describes it in picture language as a beautiful bride. And therefore, I think our expectation should be that we see many, many, many people come to faith in Jesus. Now, I'm excited by the fact we're growing as a community. Part of that is people coming to faith in Jesus. But of course, we want to see more. So I guess the question is, how do we do it? How do you and I get the plentiful harvest? Four things. Number one is this. We simplify our lives. First instruction Jesus gives his disciples is before they've even done anything, he says this, do not take a purse or bag or sandals for the journey. Simple application is this. I'm less effective on mission. I'm less effective as a disciple of Jesus when I am carrying lots of purses, bags, and sandals. I think probably the key thing that I have learned when it comes to mission is in this very simple principle, which is this. Jesus builds the church. Our job is to make disciples. Jesus builds the church. Our job is to make disciples. And yet, all too often, I get it the wrong way around. And my focus becomes on, I've just got to build the church. Let's get more people on. Like it's all about numbers. Often in the West, I think churches can often be guilty of building churches on capitalistic principles. If the arrows are pointing up, everything is okay. No, Jesus will take care of building the church. Our job is to make disciples. What's making a disciple? Well, here's the deal. It's basically built on relationship over the long term. It's a slow process. The whole idea of discipleship, it kind of means kind of like a, a follower, a learner. Like Jesus is our mentor and we want to learn from him. The problem is it takes time. It's rooted in relationship. Let me give you a little thought experiment to try and help you see this. Um, I want you to take 10 seconds for a moment to think of the three people that have influenced your life more than any other. Maybe it's a parent, teacher, sibling, friend. 10 seconds, three people, go.
Okay, question number two. I now want you to take 10 seconds to think of the three sermons that have changed your life more than any other. Three, two, one, go. I don't know why you're smiling and chuckling at this question. Like, some of you are thinking, have I, have I heard a sermon before? Um, um, a little piece of advice uh, as an aside, we, we have lots of speakers in Christchurch. I love the diversity uh, of viewpoints that we get uh, in church. Um, little bit of advice, um, when you've preached a sermon, often people will come up to you and say, that was great, well done, I love that. Uh, the advice is this, the worst question you can ask in that moment is, oh great, thank you. Which bit of the sermon did you like the most? Do not ask that question. You will see fear in their eyes. They'll be like, I wasn't expecting questions. Um, the bit about God and Jesus, that was great. I love, I love the Bible bit, that was great. Um, it's just a little example of what really changes our lives. Like, I hate to break it to you, but this sermon will not change your life. Uh, some of you have worked that out already, but it, it won't. I don't think any sermon can do that. Now, just to be clear, I really believe in the power of preaching. I, I believe God's word is really powerful. But I think the most, even an amazing sermon can do, is it can help us take a step. It might be a really significant step. It might be a step that alters the trajectory of our lives, but it's just a step. And then you have to follow it up with another step, and then another step, and then another step. That's how life change happens. That's why discipleship is so important. And as an aside, like if there are people who are not rooted in church community, if I'm not regularly in the lives of other people, I have limited faith about how much life change that you can actually experience. If I dip in a church now and then, if I'm not really in the midweek life of the church, like I'm not sure how much life change can really happen. Because actually life change happens through discipleship, not attendance at meetings. And that happens through relationship. Jesus builds the church. He'll take care of growth. He'll take care of all of that. Our job is to make disciples. That's a slow burn process. It takes place over time. You know, it's always been striking to me that when Jesus ascended to heaven, he did not leave behind a megachurch. He just left behind a small amount of people into whom he had poured himself, and yet they went on in due course to change the world. If that's the Jesus model, I think we have something to learn from that. The problem is going deep in community takes time. It takes intentionality. If I'm to go deep in relationship, it means I can't skim. It means I need to drop purses, bags, and sandals. Discipleship is what counts. That's a Monday through Sunday deal. That takes time. If we want to be effective on mission, the first thing we have to do is simplify our lives. Second step to fruitful mission is this, we're then to watch. So once I've kind of cleared my life, Jesus sends the disciples out. Interestingly, he says this, verse 4, do not greet anyone on the road. There are people, they are going to pass, and Jesus tells them, do not talk to them. Isn't that interesting? He doesn't say talk to everyone. I think there's something to learn from that. Jesus says knock on doors and then look for somebody who welcomes you in. In other words, look for a friend. Look for someone who's up for friendship and then go in and be their friend. Fruitful mission is built on friendship. Clear my life, then be friends. A couple of illustrations here. Uh, the first is from uh, one of my favorite authors, Eugene Peterson. 
Uh, he wrote the message translation of the Bible, amongst other things. Uh, this is from his book, Christ Plays in 10,000 Places. And he tells a story about when he was a kid. He was bullied by a nasty boy called Garrison Johns. He used to bully him for being a Christian, like jab him and stuff. And uh, Eugene Peterson writes this. He says, I arrived home most days bruised and humiliated. My mum told me this had always been the way of Christians in the world, and I had better get used to it. She also said I was supposed to pray for him. One day I was with a few friends when Garrison caught up with us and started jabbing me. That's when it happened. Something snapped. For a moment, the Bible verses disappeared from my mind and I grabbed Garrison. To my surprise and his, I was stronger. I wrestled him to the ground, sat on his chest, pinned his arms to the ground with my knees and he was helpless at my mercy. It was too good to be true. I hit him in the face with my fists. It felt good and I hit him again. Blood spurted from his nose, a lovely crimson in the snow. I hit him again, more blood. Then, 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 my Christian training reasserted itself. Say, I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. He wouldn't say it, so I hit him again, more blood. I tried again. Say, I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And he said it. Garrison Johns was my first Christian convert. Now, the reason I tell that story is I think that's how many of us see mission. We hit people over the head with a message they don't really want to hear until they parrot a prayer they don't really want to pray, and then we think, job done, I'll move on to the next person. That's not how fruitful mission works. It's built on friendship. Uh, second illustration, this was from a magazine uh, called World Magazine from a guy called Mike Bechtel. He's written a book called Evangelism for the Rest of Us, and he tells a true story of a friend of his who walked down a busy high street, so I think Sutton High Street at lunch hour, and he wanted to find how many women would it take before I can find a woman who is up for giving me a kiss. So he walked down the high street, asked strange women for a kiss. Uh, as you can imagine, he was ignored, he was insulted, he was cursed. Uh, two women slapped him in the face. Uh, but it turned out number 98 was his lucky number. After 97 rejections, the 98th woman gave him a kiss. I'm, she needs pastoral care. But anyway, um, and if you're single, do not do this. this gay. Um, and at the point Mike Bechtel makes is this. For that guy, he could walk away from that lunch hour and think, yes, the strategy works. I got someone to kiss me. And of course, on one level, he would be right. But if he's going to claim the success of the kiss, he also has to claim responsibility for the other 97 people who walked away from that interaction being more suspicious, more wary, like more unhappy about guys approaching them on the street than they were beforehand. So often I think mission is like that. You know, so often I think with mission we can shout a message at people that they don't really want to hear and every now and then someone responds and that's amazing. And I think there's a place for that, of course. But of course, when we do that, we also have to take responsibility for anybody and everybody else who walks away from that interaction thinking, oh, they're a bit weird. I don't want to be part of that community. What's that all about? Fruitful mission is built on relationship. There was some research done recently uh, in the UK which reported that for most people, most people, the way the church does evangelism in the UK left them with a less than positive view of Jesus and the Christian faith. I would humbly suggest that if we do mission and we leave people with a less than positive view of Jesus, we're getting it wrong. Why? Because Jesus is amazing. The key to the plentiful harvest is, okay, I'm going to clear my diary and then just find someone who's up for being friends. 
the key is friendship. And then step three, we deepen friendship. Interestingly, the next instruction is once you've found someone who says, yeah, come into my house, eat with me, Jesus says this, stay in their house, do not move around from house to house. In other words, don't try and win the world for Jesus. Just stay in their house and be friends. Stay there eating and drinking whatever they give you. The main thing with discipleship is it takes time. If we want to help people find faith in Jesus, there are no quick fixes. If the Son of God, Jesus, took three years with 12, I think we should set our stall out for a bit longer than that. Fruitful mission involves being in people's lives for the long haul. It doesn't mean about shoehorning God into every conversation. It means being there for them when they're going through a tough time. Supporting them through a bereavement. Celebrating birthdays and anniversaries and promotions. Serving when new babies come along. That's what it looks like to stay in someone's house. Uh, there's a story um, a, a guy called Wayne Cordero uh, tells. Uh, Wayne Cordero is a church leader in Hawaii. That's a good gig if you can get it. Um, and he tells a story about a guy called Doug Nichols. And he was doing mission in India. And he got very sick. And was in a very uh, rundown hospital terrible conditions and he thought well while I'm here I might as well use this time to tell people about Jesus so he goes around the ward handing out these tracts about Jesus nobody wants to know people are quite angry and hostile to this westerner kind of imposing uh, their values on them and um, so he thinks okay I'm not sure what to do goes to sleep one night in the middle of the night the guy in the bed opposite him kind of wakes up coughing and spluttering and shuffling around not really sure uh, kind of what's happening um, so he goes back to sleep and when he wakes up in the morning he realizes this poor man was trying to get up to go to the toilet and didn't have strength to get up and he'd soiled the bed sheets there was a horrible stench on the ward everybody was angry with this poor old man uh, one of the nurses slapped him in the face um, and he said the following night the same thing happened he woke up because um, he had a bad cough himself this poor old man is struggling and he thinks I think it's time for me to help so he hasn't got much strength himself, gets out of bed, helps this old man to the bathroom, which is nothing more than a hole in the ground. The old man does what he needs to do, takes the old man back to bed. The old man kisses him as he goes back to bed. The following morning when Doug Nichols wakes up, there is a steaming cup of coffee on his bedside table. And people start coming up to him saying, I'd actually like to know a bit more about Jesus. Can we talk? Can I have one of those tracks? You know, it's a really cheesy catchphrase, but I believe it to be true. People want to know how much we care before they care how much we know. And I think people who don't know Jesus have every right to look at our lives and ask the question, does Jesus really make a difference? And therefore, we need to be in their lives. And we need to love them. We simplify our lives. We watch. Who's up for inviting me in? Who's up for friendship? Who wants to eat with me? And then we stay in the house. Do not move around from house to house. Just be friends. And then the fourth and final thing is this. We pray and we talk. We pray and we talk. Heal those who are ill and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. If we're going to help people find faith, yes, it's built on friendship, but there has to come a moment when we actually open our mouths and tell them about the reason we have the hope that we do. And I think we should expect a supernatural dynamic to our mission as well that when we pray for sick people, that they get well too. Now, I just want to acknowledge this is the scary bit. This is the bit that most people find hard. Jesus, interestingly, describes this process in this passage as being like lambs among wolves. If you're the lamb in that metaphor, which we are, that's a scary place 
to be. And that's why we need community to support and encourage each other when we get things wrong. But the thing about doing this on a foundation of friendship, it means when we get things wrong, well, there's grace. Like if they ask us a question and I don't know the answer, it's okay, there's next week and there's next month and there's next year. And it takes the pressure off having to have the right thing to say in every conversation. I don't know why I remember this story, uh, but when we uh, started this church, here in Sutton at least, there was a couple in the church called Christian and Lucy. Uh, some of you will remember them. A wonderful couple. They've now actually moved to Ashburnham Place in Sussex where we have our church retreat. Uh, Christian uh, works there. Uh, I remember Lucy's first Sunday in Christchurch, London. Uh, she described the worship as toe-curlingly awful. Uh, nobody from this service was leading worship. I hasten to add, you're okay, wasn't you? Um, she said the whole service was like nails down a blackboard. I hated it. The problem was she had these Christian friends in her life. And she's like, I'm friends with these people. Like, what do I do? And I knew Lucy over a number of years, and I slowly watched her come to faith in Jesus. And it happened just through relationship over time. Uh, when Lucy um, started coming to this service, she started inviting friends and family along. I remember when her mum started coming. And she became part of our church community. She became friends. And she didn't like believe anything at all. But she's like, but I love the friendships. I love the community. Uh, one Sunday after many months, she thought, I think I want to get prayer. So she came forward for prayer at the end of the service. Someone prayed uh, for her. Uh, as they prayed for her, they really felt, um, on top of what she'd asked prayer for, they should pray for healing for something in her life that they did not know about. Well, it turned out Lucy's mum had this particular issue. Not only did she get healed of a hip problem, she actually also got healed of a tumour. And I remember the moment that she came to faith in Jesus. But it wasn't about one moment. It was about relationship over time. And last time I talked with Lucy, every single member of her family, apart from one, had ended up coming to faith in Jesus. Fruitful mission happens through relationship over time. Small aside here, small aside for this community in particular, I feel one of the most powerful ways that we will make disciples as a community is with our children and with our young people. Why? Because it's relationship over time. Not actually just through raising them in our homes or the kids' work and the Alpha course and the like that's happening every Sunday, but actually just through relationship over time. Like when you're in the marquee with them at the end, ask how they're doing. Like talk with them. And I believe with all my heart, one of the most powerful legacies of our community will be a generation of people who come to know Jesus. And it shapes the trajectory of their lives. And I also want to say this for those of you who have children who right now, I'm not sure I believe in God. I don't know if this is for me or not. Do not underestimate the power of your prayers and your faithfulness and your love over many years. I believe that what you have sown will one day bear fruit. Now, we have 200 children and young people in our service. What a legacy if they come to know how amazing Jesus is. Small aside here, when it comes to praying and talking, if you're wondering, what do I say in that moment? Someone asked me, why do I believe what I do? Like, what's your answer? If this helps, I, I would give one of three answers. Why do I believe what I do? I say one of three things. Number one, creation. Just think creation is just so amazing, it points to God. In fact, the Bible tells us that. It says, actually, creation is so amazing, people are without excuse. When people stand before God one day, like, they're not going to be able to say, why didn't you show me? 
the Bible says, no, creation's amazing enough. It points to a creator. Uh, Richard Dawkins says, this is the most powerful pointer to the divine. Uh, I think there's a more powerful pointer. We'll get to that in a minute. But number one, I say, well, I think creation is amazing. Number two, I think the way that people are wired. Like, uh, if you look in every single culture through all of human history, they've ended up believing in God, all the gods. There's something about the way that people are wired that points them to God. Uh, C.S. Lewis used to say this, if I find in myself a desire that nothing on earth, nothing in this world can satisfy, maybe I have been made for another world. I like that. I think the way people are wired points us to something greater. But the main thing I would talk about if someone asked me, why do you believe what you do? would be this, Jesus Christ. That's the biggie, that there was this guy that even Richard Dawkins admits lived. I believe Jesus existed. I believe he died because everybody died. But I think the evidence for his resurrection is utterly compelling. Like even his fam- He even convinced his family that he had risen from the dead. And actually more than that, more than this historical moment in history, Jesus rising from the dead, I believe he's changed my life. I once was blind, but now I see. Jesus is the best thing in my life. And if someone asked me, why do you believe what we do? I'd say, it's not just what happened 2,000 years ago. I believe I know the life of God in my life right here, right now. If you were asked that question, why do you believe? I hope that helps. Now, before I finish, if this is how we do mission, clear the diary, knock on a door, be friends. Stay in their house. Don't move around from house to house. And then over time, offer to pray, offer to talk. Don't try and shoehorn God into every conversation. One of you might have got a justifiable question. Andy, if we take the slow road, if we do this slowly over time, how do we get the plentiful harvest? Jesus promises a plentiful harvest. So how do I get that if I go slow? Like, how, how do you do the maths there? And to answer that question, I want to give you a little thought experiment. I want you to imagine that we had a new missional strategy as a church. And that strategy is tonight, we're going to do a gathering event. We're going to invite everybody that we know, neighbors, friends, colleagues, family, and I'm going to give a talk. And because the talk is so amazing, so captivating, so anointed, 500 people come to faith in Jesus. We're like, wow, Andy's on fire. We should do this again. So tomorrow night... We put the same venue, invite a big crowd. I'm on fire again. 500 more people come to faith in Jesus. So by tomorrow, 1,000 new disciples. Tuesday, we think, well, we're on a roll here. Let's do it again. Like, again, I preach. It's another blinder. How many people come to faith? 500 more people. 1,500 by Tuesday. 2,000 by Wednesday. Question, in this missional strategy, how long until every single person in the UK comes to faith in Jesus? The answer is 368 years. 368 years of listening to me preach every single night. How do you feel? Can I get an amen? I mean, wouldn't we love that? Yeah, thanks, Renna. Thanks, Renna. Yes. Me preaching every night, 368 years, Britain is one for Jesus. Let's try strategy number two. Let's go slow. And let's think instead, you know, all I'm going to do is I'm just going to knock on a door and be friends. I'm going to love someone the best I can. And rather than 500 in a night, let's imagine after one year, one person, because I've been such a good friend, comes to faith in Jesus. And they're like, wow, this is amazing. So in 2024, we decide there's now two of us. Let's go be friends again. And over the course of that year, we're just friends. We knock on a door. We stay in someone's house. And after that year, we both see 
one person come to faith in Jesus. So by the end of 2024, there's now four. We do the same in 2025. By the end of 2025, there's eight. By the end of 2026, there's 16. In this model, in 10 years, we have less new disciples than we do in one night in the first model. Question, in this model, how long until every person in the UK comes to faith in Jesus? The answer is 27 years. 27 years versus 368 through going slow and doing it through relationship. And here I believe is the promise. If we as a community go slow, if we love people well, if we decide to make disciples, if we decide to become a disciple ourselves, then yes, it will be slow. Yes, it will be built on relationship. Yes, it will take time. But through the course of time, he will build his church. That's how it works. And I love this model because it takes all the pressure off us. We go slow, build relationship, discipleship, time, slow. But he builds the church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's how we do mission fruitfully. I wonder if I could invite the band up. Can I ask us all to stand? And we're going to sing a closing worship song now. Um, Before we do, I'm just going to pray. I'm just going to invite the Holy Spirit to come. And I'm going to pray for a couple of things in particular. Um, Firstly, I'm just going to pray that God by his spirit comes and nudges you right now about either what you need to do or maybe more appropriately, whose door you need to knock on. And as I pray, it might be as I pray for some of you, like someone maybe even is coming to mind right now. You're like, I just need to love them. I need to be in their life. I need to go deep with them. I need to not rush off to another house. I need to go deep in that particular relationship. It may be for some of you, you know, I need to simplify my life. There are Percy's bags and sandals I'm carrying and I need to put them down now. It may be some of your children come to mind. So firstly, I'm going to pray for that. But secondly, maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus. And if Jesus is as amazing as I'm saying he is, you might be a little bit intrigued. Ooh, if he's there, I want to know him. And so all I'm going to ask is, as I pray and invite God to come right now, for you to pray a very brave prayer in your heart, God, if you are there, would you show me? And I believe God will. And if you want to explore more, come chat to me at the end. And we can find a context where we can just be friends. And we can talk more about the person who's changed human history, Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, I want to ask, would you come right now? I know that you're here already, but I ask, would you intensify your presence amongst us? And would you speak to us right now? Where there are Percy's bags and sandals we need to drop, show us. And if there are doors that we need to knock on, people that we need to go deep with, bring them to mind right now, I believe.